0: let's open with a word of prayer god almighty we tell you that we love you we thank you for today we thank you for your calling upon each life here father for those who are not able to be with us today we pray your blessing that your spirit would comfort that you would call that you would uh, be with them today father for those of us who are here that you would teach us lord your spirit is the spirit of truth and you lead us into all truth and. Uh, Lord, you say that where your spirit is, there is freedom. So, Father, as we come to share, uh, you open our hearts, you open our minds, uh, you allow us to turn to you, to see, to hear, and to be healed. And then, Lord, equip us, that we may be used by you to bring freedom to others. So we thank you. In the power of the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, we want to begin talking about... uh, uh, understanding some of the instruments of the devil. So we started a little bit of that last night on page 14. I'm going to take you back to page 14. Um, it's important to understand the uh, the ways of the devil. And so you'll notice my, uh, my little podium right here. Eh? So I don't know if you can see this here. There you go. You see that? You see that piece of wire hanging right there? Anyone know what that piece of wire is? That piece of wire is a snare. I used to, I jokingly say that I have a ministry that I participate in, it's called Redneck Ministries International. And anyone here knows what a redneck is? It's a guy who works outside so much that the back of his neck gets red from the sun. Uh, They're known as outdoorsmen, oftentimes not really well known for their academics, and yet. I've hung out with some interesting rednecks, and uh, if you hang out with rednecks long enough, you find out that these are, these are oftentimes quite brilliant people. Uh, they're academics in their own way. Anyway, this one redneck that I used to work with, um, he decided one year that he was gonna teach me how to uh, catch coyotes. What we would do is we would find a tree. There's a tree, and we would take our snare, and we would tie our snare around the tree, and we would hang it out like that now beside the tree would be a path that the coyotes had been running and interestingly enough um, coyotes are creatures of habit, especially when the snow comes down and so here we would hang our snare out like this and the coyote would come along and he would drop into the same old path and he would run along and like a lot of, a lot of them, they're creatures of habit, they're not paying much attention and a coyote would come along and he would run his neck right through there and he would catch himself and when he hit the end boom like that it would pull up tight and he would hang himself and they would often be times they would hit the end of that snare so hard and so fast trotting along that it would choke them off and you'd find a dead coyote there the next day without any sign of struggle that would just close off uh, blood supply to their, their brain and they would die and you know people talk about traps being inhumane this is inhumane, the leg bolt this is not inhumane at all this was a snap of the fingers and it was done but what we did was we depended on the routine of the coyote so what we want to do is we want to take a little bit of uh, a look at the routine of the devil we depended on the behavior patterns of the coyote Uh, I tell guys, the best day we ever had snaring coyotes, we had a bush. And in the bush, we hung five snares along one trail. Now, this was the first snare going in the front of the bush. This was the last one coming out of the back of the bush. One day, we saw at the edge of the bush five sets of tracks going into the one trail. None of them come out the other end. The first guy hung himself here, the rest of them walked around, back onto the trail. next guy hung himself here, they all walked around, back onto the trail. Bang! Around! Bang! Last guy we got him going out the end of the bush. They are creatures of habit. And if you understand how they function, you can catch them. And of course for the farmer, these things are busy killing all his calves. Uh, This is an important thing because they do a lot of damage. So, same thing with the devil. The devil does a lot of damage. What we need to do is we need to understand some of his habit patterns, how he functions, and then, knowing that, we can be equipped a little bit more effectively to deal with him. So, instruments of the devil. How does the devil function? Well, first thing and foremost, he uses deceit. Scripture says he is the father of lies. John 8.44 says this, you are your father, the devil. Jesus is speaking here to the pharisees and sadducees um, and he is telling them that, that they actually don't belong to God at all. He says they belong to the devil, they do the devil's work he even calls the devil their father um, he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him one of the things you have to understand about a, a demon or the devil, there is no truth so, you don't be talking to a demon and trying to get truth from a demon because you don't get truth from a demon. A demon lies, that is its language. Uh, the devil lies, that is his language. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature. You know, have you ever seen a grouchy person? Grouchy person? Well, uh, Lisa's a grouchy person. No, I'm kidding. Lisa's not grouchy. She's amazing. But a grouchy person inside, you get grouchy on the outside too. You know what I mean? their words mirror what's in the heart same thing with the devil he is a liar and the father of lies and in fact there would be no deceit in this world if it wasn't for the devil the first deceit in the whole world came from the devil when he said to Adam and Eve you know what God knows that if you did this you'd become like him and the deceit entered the world so we want to understand that he's a deceiver Uh, he's a schemer Ephesians 6, 11. It says, put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. My grandfather, <clears throat> he, had, uh, he had an old collie dog. And he said the collie dog was bigger than the coyotes. And the collie dog was tasked with keeping the farmyard safe from the coyotes. And one day he came out and he found the collie dog sitting like this... On top of a chicken and there was a coyote coming at the collie dog from this side and a coyote coming at the collie dog from this side and when the coyote from the collie dog's dealing with this coyote this coyote back here would be snapping at him and the the collie dog would jump around like this deal with this one deal with this one but he just swivel around right on top of this chicken eh? the collie dogs protected the chicken but the interesting thing I found with the coyotes is they were crafty enough that they knew how to go after this coyote. We'll go after him from both sides, and one of us is going to get the chicken. So this is what the devil's like. Put on the full armor of God, we're told, so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. You have to understand something about the devil. He's crafty, he's a schemer, he spends time planning, he's strategic, and he's brighter than you and me. This is why one of the things when we talk about the armor of God, we speak about the truth, the belt of truth. Who is the truth? Well, the scripture talks a bunch about who the truth is, not just what it is. But Jesus says he is the truth. John says that the spirit of God is the spirit of truth. It says in James 1 that if we need wisdom, we're to ask God and God will give us his wisdom. So in other words, we don't deal with the schemes of the devil effectively on our own. We need to stand in Christ. Let Christ give us his wisdom so that we can deal with the schemes. Because the devil is a schemer. He, does, he, does, he just doesn't usually come walking up to you and say, hey, I'm the devil, and I want to make your life a mess. Uh, would you bite this? He comes up disguised as a snake, which at that point in time was just one of the animals that they'd been given dominion over. He comes up, he schemes, in his scheming, he deceives, and we end up. Him have something to work. With. So all his schemes are geared toward getting us back into our own strength and away from a life of trusting God. You know, Chong and I were talking about here a little uh, earlier on about what does it mean to trust God for provision. And you know, even as we stepped into this ministry, um, as God called us into this ministry, provision was a big thing for me. I'm going like, Lord, how are you going to provide? I want to serve you, but then how are you going to provide for this? And God says, you're going to have to trust me. Can you tell me how you're going to do it? No, you're just going to have to trust me. Oh, man, right? A lot of us struggle with that. So it's easy to go, well, maybe I'll just help God out a little bit. And God blocked some of my efforts, and here we are. Well, another thing that the devil uses is the hardening, or the veil. And I want to just bring two passages of Scripture to you. The hardening, 2 Corinthians 3, 14 to 17 speaks of it. It says, but their minds are hardened, now he's talking about uh, those, uh, the, the Pharisees and uh, the Sadducees back in the day, the religious leaders. It says their minds were hardened. These are some of the same people that Jesus called uh, children of the devil here. A couple of passages earlier on. For until this very day at the reading of the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because it is removed in Christ. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. These people, when they read their Bible, their Old Testament Bible, that's what they had at that point in time, they read that as a a list of rules um, that they had to carry out in order to please God. And so they then Paul was on to teach anyone that lives by the law or lives by the Ten Commandments as a rule system must fail and then must come under condemnation for it. Um, these people, all they could see when they read the scriptures was a rule system. Now if you read Hebrews 11, it talks about a whole bunch of Old Testament characters who uh, read the law as it should be. And that law, that Ten Commandments, them to a place of trusting God, instead of just working performance-wise to please Him. So anyway, there's a veil, and that veil prevents certain people from being able to see what God's Word would say to them. So how do you get that veil uh, off? Uh, Well, uh, you turn to the Lord, because the veil is taken away by the Lord Himself. So there's this veil. then he goes on and he talks about it a little more. And even if our veil, even if our gospel is veiled uh, to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so they might not see the light of the, God, the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So this passage is about the gospel being veiled. The good news is veiled and it's veiled to those who are perishing so we have unbelievers out in the world who cannot see and they cannot believe and they cannot understand um, sometimes maybe you wonder you know I've shared Christ with this guy and he just—it just it just doesn't seem to compute with him there's a veil over his mind is what Paul says here and he says who put the veil there? the God of this world and the God of this world is one of the titles for the devil so there's a demonic veil and he's blinded the minds of the unbelieving so they might not see the light of the gospel. So they can't understand the story of Jesus. Uh, so there's a veil. And there's a hardening uh, that can happen. And that hardening and that veil, is you can't just convince somebody out of that. Excuse me, let's get into a good logical argument and I will teach you and I will explain to you and you will now see. Sometimes you have to employ prayer. And the way I... Prayed oftentimes as I pray, Lord, wash this person's mind in the blood of Jesus, strip away the veil so that they can see. And I've had several experiences of people who, when I asked them, are you interested in God's call in your life? Yeah, but it doesn't make any sense to me. Do you want, do you want to pursue God's call? Yeah, I do. Okay, well, let's pray. And we have prayed, dear Jesus, wash this mind in the blood of Jesus, help this person see, help this person understand. And then we stop the prayer and then we explain the gospel again and I've seen people go, that makes sense, and get saved. So there's sometimes when you're sharing Christ and it doesn't make sense to people, you might do just that. Can we stop and pray that the veil would be removed? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. The question is, can you say you're, say you're not with a person and you know a person who is bit struggling with that veil. So it doesn't make sense to them. Can you pray for them that way from a distance? Yes, you can. Absolutely. It's called intercession. And what you're doing is you're interceding that God would remove the veil in their life. Um, I mean, a very dramatic case, I shared a little bit of it here yesterday, um, of the lady that came to my Alpha course, and she had a witchcraft background, and you know, one of the things that she said to me was she said, all the stuff that you're saying is just gobbledygook. It's going right over my head and I did so what I did was my approach to her and I I teach people that pray with me this way uh, a lot what you do is you ask permission well you know are you interested in Jesus call on your life God's call on your life I think is how I said it to her yeah she sort of nods Yeah. and uh, I said okay can I pray for you yeah (laughs) and so one of the ways I prayed was Lord. In Jesus' name, this woman has said she's interested in your call, uh, And so, I now take authority. Whatever's blocking her from seeing you or hearing you, I bind your power in the name of Jesus, and I wash you off of her mind in Jesus' blood. Come, Lord Holy Spirit. You teach her. Let her hear what you have to say for her. And uh, she, uh, she, she, she just, we finished, said amen. She got up and she left. I never didn't know whether she was going to come back at all. She comes back the next week, and she's just, like, voracious. She's just like, this is awesome. She comes up to me afterwards, and she's a really excitable type. This is awesome. This is great. I can't believe this is amazing. And she got saved. like, I don't know, I think maybe the next meeting after that. But the change in her from just being, this is confusing nonsense, to this is amazing. This made sense. It was just like night and day. It was like the veil had been removed. So there is that veil, and you can pray that the Lord uh, removes it. If you're sitting with the person, ask them. Are you interested in God's call? Can we pray? And you pray. And if you're not with the person, absolutely you can intercede. Ten Commandments. The devil, interestingly enough, uses the Ten Commandments. Guess what? Guess who, aside from the Holy Spirit, knows his Bible best? It ain't you. (laughs) It's the devil. The devil is a very accomplished theologian. He knows what is true and what is not true. And so he comes in a very crafty manner in Matthew 4. When Jesus is out in the wilderness being tempted. And what does the devil do? He takes God's word and he does just what he did with Adam and Eve. He just twists it a little bit. And he puts a self-centered tinge to it. You're hungry? Do it yourself. You, know, you make the bread for you. Take it in your own hands. right? And Jesus says, no, no, no. It says that man will not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the Father's mouth. I am dependent on my my Heavenly Father. And Jesus didn't step into it. So, the devil uses the Ten Commandments. Now, the sin, it says, taking an opportunity through the commandment deceived me and through it killed me. So then the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. But it has this effect. The law becomes the devil's weapon. And interestingly enough, The devil uses that uh, to show us our sin, and then what he does, let's see here, where is, there we go, the law is the word of God, right? But more specifically, the law that he's speaking of here is the Ten Commandments. It shows us what is good and what is righteous, but when it touches us in the devil's hand, it kills us. The devil comes up to us and he says, see this? This is perfection, and look at you and he begins to condemn us so if you look at the Ten Commandments and all you get out of the Ten Commandments is condemnation you're listening to the devil's voice what Jesus does with the Ten Commandments he uses them by the power of the Holy Spirit in a convicting way not a condemning way Uh, and so Jesus will come to us with the Ten Commandments and, and he'll say can you live up to these things? no good then you're ready to trust me Accept my forgiveness and put yourself in my hands. When Jesus uses the Ten Commandments, he always uses them in a way that draws us to the place of surrender. The devil always uses them in a way as to beat us up. He whacks us with the club. He condemns us. And he does it with God's word. Okay. Accusation. That leads us into this next passage. Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. He who accuses them before our God day and night. Okay, this is where you need to think about the poodle. What did I say last night? A poodle is what? It's a bark with hair on. That's really all it is, right? Poodles, yap, 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 I used to read meters with the gas company in Calgary and I ran into lots of poodles. And I know Poodles. And they'd be either chewing on my leg, um, you know, the little old lady would be going, don't worry, he doesn't bite, and I'd be watching him gnaw his way up my leg, you know. Um, And uh, or he'd be just going yap, 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 constant. Can you shut him up? Can't be done. He's like the devil. (laughs) Because that's what the devil does. The devil accuses. He's an accusation with horns. That's all he is. And that's what this scripture says. It says he's an accuser, who does he accuse? He accuses the brethren, he accuses the sister. <laughs> he accuses us, he accuses the ones that are the beloved of God. He comes and accuses us. Now can he make those accusations stick? You know what, if you've accepted the blood of Christ, if you've accepted the forgiveness of Christ, he can't make those things stick. But guess what, it's like me, I got my suit. is my new rain suit. Right? This doesn't prevent it from raining. What does it do? It just keeps the rain off. The blood of Christ does not prevent us from being accused. It just keeps the accusations off. So we need to understand that. That the, the devil accuses, look what he did, look what he did, look what he did, look what he did. And Jesus forgives us constantly. So, accusation is what he uses. One of the things when you deal with the demonic that you need to learn how to do is every accusation that comes against you, you know what? That goes to the blood of Jesus. You know what? That went to the cross. I'm not receiving that. Yeah, but you did do it. I know, but I'm not, not receiving the accusation. I just simply give my guilt to the cross and I receive the forgiveness. And the devil begins to lose his power to oppress your life. Don't carry the guilt. Does anyone here carry guilt? You carry it well, you're not made to carry it. Don't carry the guilt. Give the guilt to Christ. That's what he came for. So, okay, the good news. The good news is that the work of Christ is finished. So, you know, I had somebody uh, ask me one time, and I, um, has Christ not then accomplished all this? Like, why are we talking about struggles with the demonic? Hasn't Christ totally defeated them all? Absolutely, he has. Uh, and so we need to understand that what we're trusting here is we're trusting the reality of Jesus' finished work. This is what Jesus cried out in John nineteen thirty. He said, it is finished. He's hanging on the cross, and he's ready to die, and he calls out, it is finished. What did he mean? He didn't just mean his life was over. What he meant was that what he came to do is finished. And we, we talked a little bit last night of what Jesus came to do. He came to destroy the works of the devil. I came to do this, and now it is finished. The works of the devil have lost their power, they have been destroyed. That's what Jesus cried out on the cross when he said this. So Satan will always seek to convince you that it's not finished and there's more to do. You've got to do more praying, more reading, more of something, more that you have to perform. You know, we have a prayer that I oftentimes hand out. It's called a warfare prayer. I gave it to a lady one time and she came into my office some months later and she was uh, terrified. I didn't do the warfare prayer right two and a half weeks ago, and I think the devil's got a grip on my life." And I'm going, what? Yeah, I didn't do it right. I only got a chance to pray half of it, and I think the devil got me. Really? Well, you know what? That's a performance-based approach. God is not a God of recipes. Um, The finished work of Jesus is not just a recipe you crank your way through. What Satan wants to do is he wants to take this kind of material here and he says, unless you live up to all of this, every bit of it, unless you do it all perfect, unless you follow the recipe totally correctly, you're wide open for demonic attack. That's not true. The work of Christ is done. Well, what if you don't pray the whole warfare through correctly, word for word? So I said to this lady, I said, i tell you what. There's a special version of this prayer. It's just for you. I'm going to give you the short version. And the short version goes like this. Jesus, I'm under your blood. Amen. What? But that prayer is like a whole page long. That all fits into Jesus, I'm under your blood? Yep. It all fits in there. Well, then why is this prayer so long? Well, it gives you a little bit of more time to get engaged in it and, and be with the Lord. I mean, why do we pray longer? Not to hear ourselves talk. God said, don't be like the Gentiles, just praying to hear yourselves talk. I'll tell you why. I, you know. When I I fell in love with my wife, why did I spend all those nights out talking with her? Till the end whatever hour. Because she was fascinating and I wanted to be with her. It's the same thing with God. Why sometimes are our prayers long? Because he's fascinating and we want to be with him. But guess what? The short prayer, Jesus, I'm under your blood, amen. That works. Okay? So, you know, don't get into the performance thing. Just trust that his work is finished. Uh, The basic lie that Jesus' work on on the cross didn't quite cut it, and uh, that we have to finish the job by performing correctly, that's something Satan brings. But the Holy Spirit will always call you to stand in that finished work. You know, Jesus did this already. The devil comes up and says, This, you messed up here. Jesus covered that. That's done. It's over. And you have to stay there. Well, secondly, is we have an identity in Christ. This is our incarnational theology. Um, you know, incarnational theology is something that we need to come to understand. So here I am. Mm. There's me. There's my heart. Okay? Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, has come to live in me. A lot of people don't understand this. Um, but we have an identity in Christ. We don't just live for Christ as though Christ is out here somewhere, and we visit him, and then we go back out and live for him. Christ lives in us by the power of the Holy Spirit, and then he lives out through us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the devil can see that. And so for me, you know, I I remember uh, one lady I met one time, she walked into one of my seminars. And uh, somebody introduced me to her, and as I shook her hand, her eyes were all bug-eyed, and she was looking at me, and I knew something was wrong. But it wasn't time yet. Anyway, as the seminar went on, uh, in one of our sessions, she manifested a, a, a demon, and uh, she asked for deliverance, and the Lord set her free. And she comes up to me afterwards, and she said, you know, the moment I walked in and I shook her hand, she said, the voices in my head were screaming, telling me to get out, and she says, I knew that you were going to be the one God used to set me free the devil can see Christ in you and the more you come to realize and to live in the fact that Christ is in you the more confidence that you will walk in and the greater God will be able to use you because really folks we don't make anything happen we just let Christ live through us right? the enemy can see Christ in us and he reacts to that presence So we as ministers of deliverance, we are disciples of Jesus. Galatians 2.20 says this, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. This is incarnational theology. This means that you, let's take the suit again. Now we've called this the presence of Christ. Let's change the illustration. This suit is me. And without Jesus in me, I'm just an empty suit. But guess what Jesus wants to do? Every morning I wake up and I say, Lord, I'm yours, and he climbs inside, he zips me up, and he wears me out into the community. You and I were meant to be Jesus. Jesus wants to wear us into the community. Aside from him, we're empty bags of wind. But with him living in us, we've become very powerful instruments of his grace in this community. But we do, we trust in our identity, in him. It is no longer... I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So what does it mean to live by faith? Does anyone know? What does it mean to live by faith in the Son of God? Yeah. See, if I'm the suit, living by faith means all I'm doing is hanging myself on whoever wears me. So you just hang yourself on Jesus. Another way to talk about faith is like this. I had one guy, I was listening to a speaker describe this and he says, what do you do in a chair? What do you do? Faith means to put your full weight on something. Mm -hmm. It means to trust. You know, if I knew that that thing was going to explode out from underneath me and drop me onto the floor, I probably wouldn't sit on it. But I actually look at that, I've sat on a bunch of chairs, it looks solid to me, but ugh. And I put my full weight upon this chair and and I rest. And this is what it means to trust Christ. That we put our full weight upon Him. We come to understand that our identity is in Jesus. We are fully protected, and I want you to get these next few statements. We are fully protected when we are in Jesus. Don't step out of the suit back to Jesus being the one who wraps us around. We are fully protected. We're not perfect in the way, what I, what I mean by that is, it's not that we don't make mistakes anymore, but we are protected. And you know what? We need to be surrendered, not sinless. If you think you're sinless, well, 1 John says it real clear, right? Eh? <laughs> If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and what? The truth is not in us, not in us right? And he was talking to believers when he said that. So we need to be surrendered. What that means is we begin to live that surrendered lifestyle. Uh, surrendered means our sin is surrendered to Jesus and is under his blood. And that way the demonic, uh, that way the demonic deals with Jesus' work of the cross and not with us in our strength. We no longer live, but Christ lives in us. That way, when the devil comes and accuses you, you can say, yeah, well, that's true, but you know what? I'm under the blood of Jesus, so you can't talk to me like that. The blood of Jesus breaks his power to accuse us effectively. We walk in freedom. See, with this whole deliverance thing, a lot of people don't do, they don't want to deal with the demonic stuff because a lot of us, we think we've got to be prayed up to some special kind of level before we touch this stuff. In my experiences, oftentimes God has taken me into situations when, when I'm not feeling the greatest. You know I mean, I'm, I'm struggling, I've I'm stumbled, I'm whatever else I'm feeling, extraordinarily weak. And suddenly somebody phones up and says, can you pray for me for this? And I have to because I'm a minister, right? Yeah, I guess I can do that, sure. And I, inside I'm thinking, Lord, I, I'm just not up to this right now. That's okay. I am. And I'm living through you. And you come walking out of some of those things, and you're like, that was amazing. I just watched God set somebody free, and I didn't have a thing to contribute. It just became willing. So you don't have to be perfect. You, you, you just have to be surrendered, right? Christ has not left us alone. We need to know that. He lives in us by the Holy Spirit. Jesus said to his disciples, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And after a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. In that day, you will know I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. People, the Scripture talks about us as a temple of the Holy Spirit—the place where God lives, not just where He parks Himself. You know, I've met people who live in their houses that way. They sit with a remote, and in one spot, they don't use the rest of the house. God is not like that. God fully uses the house. God lives. He doesn't just exist in us. He lives through us. John 16 says this. When he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak in his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and disclose it to you. And all things the Father has are mine. Therefore I say, he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. So the spirit of God will come and live in us, and he will bring us into the things of Jesus. He will reveal to us what we need to know. You know, sometimes you think, well, Lord, I don't know how to deal with this. I was given a call one time um, from somebody north of the city here. I have a demon-possessed man in my home. Can you come help me? "Uh, Sure. Click. I'm thinking to myself, I really don't know what to do. I mean, I don't even know what the situation looks like. All I know is I get this very dramatic phone call. I have a demon-possessed man in my house. Will you come help I climbed on my motorcycle, and I started driving north of the city, and I'm praying on the way, and I'm going, Lord, you know what's going to happen. I have no clue what's going to happen. And I walked into this situation. Um, They had met a young man, uh, brought him into their home, and he began to manifest a demon. And he vigorously manifested a demon. So they uh, could not deal with this. They got my name, and they called me. I walked in, and here's this young man, and he's got this heavy look on his face, and he's sort of skulking around the, the house. And we sat down with him, and as soon as we sat down, he started to manifest. And the manifestation that he began to experience was it sort of looked like this. I don't, I don't know if I can film it, but he's going to go. And he started to make this weird noise. So I bind this power in the name of Jesus. First thing out of my mouth, we are under the blood of Jesus here bind this power in Jesus to you. Now I want to speak to the young man. Can you hear me? And he's going... To... Yes! Good. Well, I guess that's the quality conversation we're going to have. Um, do you want your freedom? Because they, you, there is freedom for you. Do you want to be free? Yes! You said yes, right? Yes! Okay. All right. Um in order for you to be free, we're going to have to talk about Jesus. Are you good with this? And you're going to notice something about the way I approached him. I didn't just uh, attack the demon. In the early days, what I would have done was just attack the demon. I rebuke you, I bind your power, I command you. Well, demon, when you attack demons like that, when they have something to hold on to in a person's life, they'll thrash and bash all afternoon long. What we're going for is we're going for the surrender to Jesus. And for that to happen, you have to talk to a person and share the gospel. So, I bind his power in the name of Jesus. I want to talk to the person. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. And we begin to walk him through the presentation of the gospel. Does this make sense to you? Yes! Okay. Are you ready to say yes to Jesus? Because Jesus is the only one that can free you. Well, okay. Um, This is a fully possessed man. He's not a believer. We deal with foundational issues first. There is one foundation for freedom that can be laid in his Christ. So attacking a demon doesn't help until that foundation is in place. So what the demon wants to do is it wants to block everything. It doesn't want this kid giving his life to Jesus. It doesn't want that relationship to begin because it knows if that relationship begin its ownership there is done so we deal with this is where, you know what folks this is where the evangelist in the church today here's a church, right there in a church today we tend to treat the evangelist like a peripheral ministry, he's out there somewhere out on the outer, outer edge doing stuff bringing people in and then the church is sort of the core, it's not true the foundation of the church is right here. This is evangelism right there. Yes, evangelism works out here. But the evangelism out here, what this guy is doing out here is he's laying a foundation for this to be built on. Mm-hmm. Evangelism has to be brought back as the core of all ministry. Because evangelism brings us into the relationship with Jesus, which enables the kind of surrender to take place that allows freedom to happen. Does that make sense to you? Mm-hmm. Anyway, with this young fellow, we're laying foundations first. God's going to give him a new life of faith and a new life of freedom. Anyway, he prays with me. And it's like, okay, pray with me. And you'll hear me in my prayer training seminars teach about how prayer is like a bucket. The words are like a bucket. A lot of people don't know how to pray.
1: And they'll tell you that. I don't know how to pray.
0: I'll help you with the words. But the words are like a bucket. You pour your heart into them. You hand them to God. The words only mean what you load into them. Pray with me, dear Jesus. He's going like this. And I'm going, um, okay, you make sense to me. And we just walked him through. It took probably, I don't know, a half an hour or something like that to walk him through this prayer. As he flapped and spit and spasmed. And the rest of his body was like, like somebody had a hold of the base of his spine. It was whip cracking his spine. And his whole body was just like, Ugh. the spit was flying. Anyway, he got through this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe you are who you say you are. I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died to forgive my sins and to save me from, the, from a lost eternity. Jesus, I believe that in the moment you died, you defeated sin, death, and the devil. And I believe that you rose from the dead and I'm ready to trust you. Jesus, I say today you that you're my God and I worship you. And I now renounce the devil. And I now renounce the grip that he has on my life. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, the grip that I, I talked with this guy, we'd spent a little bit of time talking. Um, when did this first begin? And you know what he told me? He told me a story. The story he told me was this. He said, when I was 12 years old, my dad died in a logging accident. And he says, totally wrecked my life. And he says, I, uh, I, was, uh, I was lonely. So I wanted to talk to my dad. Hadn't been able to say goodbye. So I took a Ouija board into the graveyard to talk to my dad. Well, this is a young 12-year-old kid. He has no church background. What does he know? All he knows is a Ouija board is supposed to talk to spirits. So he did his best. And the devil took an opportunity with him because as he sat beside his father's grave and he tried to talk using this Ouija board, something came to him, but it wasn't his dad. And after that, things began to get bad for him. This spiritual power that was in his life now began to torment him. And he spent the next, uh, that was 12, when I met him, he was 17, five years, he spent five years exploring various religions, trying to get free. And it just got worse and worse and worse. So I said, okay, so what we want to do is we want to go back to that place where this began, and where you stepped out to use this Ouija board. We want to renounce that, accept the forgiveness of Jesus over that, the washing of his blood, and we're going to renounce that thing that came to you. Okay, you know, so that's what we prayed. Dear Jesus, believe you are who you say you are, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And we prayed specifically. Dear Jesus, I renounce that time when I went in to talk to my dad uh, with Ouija board. Lord, I ask your forgiveness. I didn't know what I was doing at the time. But I give you what came to me in that moment, and I renounce its power in my life. And all the other spiritual stuff that I've been involved in connected to it, I renounce those evil spirits and I renounce those powers in Jesus' name. And, and we said amen. And then I said, now I just want you to rest. And he's sitting there sort of whip cracking on the couch. And I said, now we're going to command the evil spirit to leave. And so we spoke, we said, in the name of Jesus now, you evil spirit, spirit of death, you spirit that came to this boy who Grave side of his father, spirit of the Ouija board, you know who I'm talking to. I bind your power and I command you to leave. And he whip cracks a good one, flaps and he falls over in his face. And, uh, amen. Come Lord, Holy Spirit, tell the house. Pick him up. He sits himself up, Wipes his face. He falls on his face on this lady's couch, and there's a big gruel mark. And I've seen, oftentimes, I've seen people come through a deliverance where uh, they fork up a big lot of vial, or whatever else. Uh, thank God for the lady, it wasn't vial, it was just this big gruel mark, but like half a coffee cup full of gruel, I don't know. Big wet spot. You sit him back up, are you okay? Yep. Yeah. And he began his walk with Jesus. So... Anyway, you know, the, the, the thing here, Jesus doesn't leave us alone. Jesus uh, reveals to us the things of the Father. He brings us into the truth. And in that kind of approach, it's not about attacking a demon. It's about facilitating the surrender to Jesus. It's about laying the spiritual foundations in someone's life that allow the Spirit of Christ to live through them to drive the enemy out. Does that make sense to you? So, you know, again, a very dramatic thing. I did not know what I was getting into when I drove out there. But guess what? God didn't leave it up to me to know what I was getting into. He just said, you, you come follow me. Yeah, but Lord, what if I don't know what to do? I'll tell you. Yeah, but Lord, what if you don't tell me? Then don't do anything. So I actually went out there. I don't have to make anything happen. But that's the thing that freaks people out a lot of times. They think if I get into that situation, I've got to know what to do. I've been in a bunch of situations and I don't know what to do I was with, in a situation with another young lady who was struggling with possession and as she began to manifest I'm thinking to myself I've got to phone my mentor I shut everything down in Jesus name I'm talking to my mentor ring 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 come on pick up the phone and he's not there click well I can't get a hold of him so I guess we're going to have to stop for the night and the girl looks at me and says you need to get a whole lot more uh, aggressive Eh, You're the one manifesting demon and you're telling me I need to get more aggressive? Yes. What do we do? I don't know what to do. I can't find my mentor. Dear Holy Spirit, please show us what we need. Took a moment of quiet. God spoke and he led us through the situation. So God does not leave you in these things on your own. Uh, And if you don't know what to do, Jesus, I'm under your blood. And you can stand safe in that place and find somebody to help you who doesn't. But, again, God doesn't leave us alone. He lives in us. He will bring us the truth and wisdom. Or, uh, you know, we talk about this whole condemnation thing. We cannot be condemned any longer for our sins and weaknesses. You've got to understand that we live in Christ. There's no condemnation for us. God forgives our sins and remembers them no more. Uh, so, hold on to the fact that you can't be condemned. You cannot be condemned. You can still make mistakes. You can still stumble. But you can't be condemned because Jesus took it on the cross.